Yeah, there we go. That's the title of my message today. He's my daddy. Can you say that? That's right. He's my daddy. And I want us to read a verse together before we begin. It's from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 19. Uh, let's read this together. Can you follow with me? Can everybody read it okay? Is it clear? Okay. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a prayer. Paul makes, throughout his letters, he has several prayers that, he, that he'll mention, how he's praying for that church. And uh, while we were worshiping here, Pastor Rod was uh, texting me saying, send some pictures. So I took some video of you all worshiping. And he's been praying for you also. How many glad you have a pastor like that that loves to be out serving God in the mission field? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, Paul mentions here in the beginning here, the father of the whole family in heaven and earth. Aren't you glad to be part of the family of God? What I want to talk about today is the idea that God is our father. He's my daddy. But I want to explain it in four different ways using uh, four scriptures, I want to explain to you how God is our Father. Understanding that, we, I mean, we know, have a general idea of it, but the Word of God makes things very clear. You know, it's interesting, in the Old Testament, the word Father, I mean, in reference to God, is not mentioned that often. But in the New Testament, I think probably in the Old Testament, it's about 15 times or so, referring to God directly as Father. But in the New Testament, over 300 times. You know what's interesting? Before the Gospel of John, it's mentioned about 100 times. After the Gospel of John, it's mentioned about 100 times. In the Gospel of John, it is mentioned 100 times that God is our Father. In fact, it says Jesus was sent from the bosom of the Father to reveal the Father to us. This is a revelation that we have that's been given to us. It's not just a general knowledge thing. There's something powerful about knowing that we belong to the family of God. Can you say amen? To know that we belong to God. I know I was raised in a Christian home. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> and we, we said our prayers every night, like, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, die, and all those kind of things. We said, our Father who art in heaven, we pray like that. And I remember one thing that happened after I was born again. After I was born again. After I was brought into God's family. The day that I came to Christ, the day that someone shared the gospel with me, explaining that it's not by our good works, but it's through Jesus Christ that we're saved. Amen? And that night I got saved. In fact, in just a few more weeks, I'm going to be celebrating my spiritual birthday in July. I tell everybody that I celebrate Christmas in July because that's when Christ was born in my heart, <laughs> in July 6th. And that one thing that became very precious to me the night I asked Christ into my life, when I went to say, Our Father who art in heaven, all of a sudden, that word meant something like it never meant before. It wasn't just words on a paper. I could literally feel, God, I'm your child. I'm yours. 
You're my daddy, our father, my father who art in heaven. Can you all say this with me? He's my daddy. He's my daddy. And it became real to me. Now, I don't know today, maybe you've not experienced Christ as your Savior. I invite you, today on Father's Day would be a great time to give your heart to the Heavenly Father and, 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 and come to Jesus Christ and allow that new birth to take place in your life. But let me explain to you uh, in a few ways here today how we belong to God as our Father, how we belong to Him as children. The first thing is that we belong to Him by design. God is sovereign in His goodness. God created us. Here's the verse I want to give you for it. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variation nor shadow of turning. He's called the Father of lights here in James chapter 1. Matthew Henry, back in the 1700s, he made a statement. He said, as the sun in its nature, so is God in his grace and glory and goodness and providence. As the sun in its own nature, the sun just continues to shine, doesn't it? There may be some clouds that get in the way, but that light just keeps coming. How many know God is just like that? He is good. Can you say amen? He can't deny himself. He's just good in everything he does. And he created us. Now, Interesting. How many realize you're created from dirt? Look to the person next to you and say, you're just a pile of dirt. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? But that's all we are. Isn't that right? Only one difference. We've been created in the image and likeness of God. And not only that, here's something God didn't do with the giraffes and the elephants and not even the monkeys. How many know he didn't breathe into the nostrils of the monkeys? Right? And even though evolutionists try to tell us that, something to the effect that our great-great-great-great-grandpa was an ape hanging from a tree? I don't think so. Can you say amen to that? We, we belong. We've been created. We have a creator. Well, we have God's breath in us. The Bible said God breathed into Adam the breath of life. Well, with each of these revelations of understanding who God is, and what I'm trying to explain to you with this first point is that we are God's children because he made us. He made us. And we have a responsibility. That's the biggest problem I see in the public school systems that's trying to teach our children that there is no creator, that God, uh, that there is no such thing as God, that we just evolved through a wonderful big bang process. Sounds wonderfully scientific, but it's absolute foolishness. Can you say amen? amen? We have a creator. And the real underlying problem behind evolution is that it takes away our responsibility to anyone else. We're just here by accident so we can live the way we want. Who cares? I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'll make up my own rules as I go. I don't have to be responsible to, a cre to anyone because I'm just an accident. So if I cause accidents, who cares about that? No, no, no. We have a creator. Can you say amen? And we have a responsibility. Here's a verse, one of the few verses in the Old Testament that refers to God as our Father. Is this verse? Let's read it together. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay, and thou art our potter, and we are all the work of thy hands. Now, you may look at yourself in the mirror every once in a while and say, well, I think God kind of messed up on me. That's not true, is it? You're created. 
that person you said they're a pile of dirt next to you, look at them right now and say, you're created in the image and likeness of God. God had design in mind. You aren't an accident. Whether you're tall, whether you're short, whether you're a little wider than normal or skinnier than normal, you are God's design. Amen? We have responsibility to surrender and yield ourselves to him. I love Psalms 100 and uh, verse 3. It says, know that the Lord, he is God. Read this with me. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. And how about this? 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. The Corinthians had a problem thinking how, how that they were something, you know. One says, I'm of Apollos. Another, I'm of Peter. And some were saying, I'm of Paul. And some were being real spiritual. I'm of Jesus. And, and they were all kinds of boasting. And Paul says, you're just carnal. You're babes when you do things like that. You don't realize something very important here. He said, what do you have that you've not received? What do you have today? Think about that that you have not received. How many realize that everything you have today is something that you've received? There may be self-made men and women out there, but in God's eyes, wait a minute, he gave them what they have. Can you say amen? Okay. Why do you boast as if you've not received it? Here's the second way that we belong to God. Oh, I like this one. I just wish we could take uh, some real time and get involved in this one. But a second way that we can say, I'm your child. Listen to this. By adoption. Did you know that you're all adopted into God's family? His great love. Here's the verse I want to give you for this. He's the father of mercies. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. God has a great love plan. His love story is the greatest of all. And here's something interesting. Well, let me give you First John chapter 3 also. Read this together with me, will you? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. I want you to think about this idea of being adopted. This, that's, a, that's a scriptural term. That's a doctrinal term. We are adopted. Paul says uh, that we've been adopted. The word adoption simply means... Uh, in, the word that Paul was using when he wrote it in the New Testament is to be placed as a son. And it was a process, even in Paul's day. It was a process to be adopted. Papers had to be drawn up. And that child may even live with that parent for a while. But until those papers are all drawn up, until everything was legally said and done, that child would not be able to, to say, that's my daddy. But the moment the papers were finished and the adoption was taken care of, that child was able to say, Abba. That was his legal right to be able to say, Abba, to his daddy. And adoption assumes two things. Now, think about this just for a minute. First of all, a previous family, right? Some people think and some religions teach that we're all the children of God. Well, by creation, yes. But not in the sense that we're talking about in this aspect of being God's children. To be part of God's family you need to be adopted into it. An adoption process has to take place because we, did, we were not born in this world into God's family. We have to be, like Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
We're not originally born into God's family as much as we might try. You might be sitting in church every Sunday. You might be going to church every week. You might even read the Bible and do everything you think is right. But you don't just automatically become, you're just not automatically a child of God. You need to be adopted into the family of God. In John chapter 1, it says that as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. It's a, it's, it's a privilege, and we were not originally from God's family. The Bible says that we were children of wrath, children of disobedience. The Bible says we were enemies of God in our very nature. How many would have given me a witness that, yes, you were and I was, we were enemies of God before coming to Christ, right? As religious as we may have been, until we were adopted, we were not part of his family. And God doesn't have grandchildren. Just because you bring your children to church doesn't mean they're part of God's family. Every one of us needs our experience of being born into God's family. Well, second thing, I like this one best of all, and that's that adoption is by choice. There's no such thing as an unplanned adoption, right? Think about that. No such thing as an unplanned adoption. A parent that decides to adopt, they have to think it through. They have to figure it out. I don't know all the process that goes in, and each situation may be different, but uh, in some situations, the parents would go to an adoption home and pick out the child they like best. I often wonder, I, I wonder if, if I was in some adoption home and my mom knew how I was going to be, I wonder whether she would still adopt me. I'm not sure. <laughs> but God had a plan. God didn't just accept you because he had to. He made a choice. He made a choice, and that choice was not expensive. You see... God didn't need a family. God had his own son from all of eternity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in such a tight unity. Such a tight unity from all of eternity past. No beginning. And there'll be no end. Perfect family unit. No dysfunctionality there. Why would he want to bring in us dysfunctional people to make us part of his family? God didn't need a family. He didn't need us another son or a daughter. But guess what? We needed a father. Can you say amen? Because our previous family, in the power of darkness, in the power of the devil, children of the devil, Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, speaking even to some Jews who thought they were religious enough to be God's children, and Abraham's sons and daughters. He said, your father's the devil. That's why he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You've got to be born into God's family. God did need a family, but we needed a father. There's three family ties that most psychologists agree on in studying the family unit. There are three ties that hold a family together. One is the legal aspect of belonging to the family, the inheritance, the, the, the being heirs of whatever the parents have, the legal right to having the family name. That's the legal side of family. There's the emotional side where a child it feels accepted, they're nurtured, There's a a feeling of participation involved. Uh, So there's the emotional side of family. But there's a third tie, and that's biological, blood tie. You know, adoption in the natural, it doesn't provide for that third tie, does it? That's not possible in a natural adoption. That's why many times an adopted child who later on finds out they've been adopted, they'll, they'll go in search of they're biological parents. They want to know, who, who, who was my dad? Who was my mom? There's a tie that's there, even though they didn't know original parents. 
So adoption doesn't take into consideration that biological tie, but our adoption into God's family does. It includes a spiritual birth. It includes a spiritual birth. And we're going to talk about it in just a minute, but God's DNA, when you came to Christ, when you received Christ, when you gave your heart to him, how many remember the day that you gave your life to Christ? Now, this doesn't always fit, and it's not a doctrinal statement, but I believe, you know, we have a birth certificate up in heaven somewhere. I believe God knows the day nor, or the, and the hour that you were saved. I, know, I remember the day that I was born again. I remember that specific moment. It was a, from night to day. It's not always like that in every situation, but I believe God knows. He has our birth certificate up in heaven, and it doesn't say it was during some kind of a tremendous process. There's labor pains involved in a birth, but there's still that actual birth process where we're there. And that's why we're, we're explaining you must be born again to become part of God's family. It's an experience. It's not an association. Just by sitting in church doesn't make you part of God's family. You have to be born into God's family. Well, and his adoption is both legal. We have right to be the children of God. It's emotional and even spiritually biological. We have his DNA inside of us. Hallelujah. Can you say amen to that? Well, we'll talk about more about that DNA. I want you to, I, when you see that, that's something to shout about by adoption. It says, but when the fullness of the time had come. Can you read this verse with me? Galatians 4, 4 to 6. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And that was specifically what Paul was referring to, this whole idea of adoption. When, those paper, when the paperwork was signed, only then could a child refer to that father figure in the family as Abba. You're my Abba. It was Abba for father and Emma for mother. Abba, Father. The spirit of his son produces that cry in our heart. And in Romans it says something very similar about how the spirit bears witness and helps us to know that we are children of God. Because there's a birth there, there's an association, there's a relationship that takes place. Now read with me here in Romans 8 verses 15 to 17. Can you follow this with me? For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. Oh, I like this. And joint heirs with Christ. Imagine that. This adoption that God has provided for us, it wasn't cheap, was it? It wasn't cheap. The only way it could have been possible was for God to send his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world. When you understand the severity of the cure, then you realize how serious the sickness actually was. The only way to save us. If there was some other way, then when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was crying out to the Father, Father, if it's possible. That's how Jesus spoke. He, he spoke, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He was referring to the cross, taking our sins upon himself on that cross. Not just the physical death, but the actual being associated with our sins, becoming sin on that cross. And he cried out, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He prayed that way three times. Luke tells us that his sweat became like drops of blood. He prayed so intensely. 
How many parents of you here, if your child cried that hard until their sweat became like drops of blood, how many would let them have that piece of candy they wanted? Right? I think so, right? But think about this. The father would not do that. He would not do that, even with the cries of his own son, Jesus. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. In other words, the only, if there was some other way to save us, if God could have sent down a self-help book for us to read and become nice people again, do you think he would have done that instead of seeing Jesus die in, his, for, in, our, in our place? Would he have done that? If he would send some kind of a development program or, you know, say the Ten Commandments ten times every day or say, you know, this many our fathers, then, then everything would be changed. Wouldn't that be simpler than sending his own son to die for us? But our sickness was so serious, the only way to save us was to send Jesus Christ to die on a cross. Oh, our adoption, it was not cheap. Can you say amen? God provided more than just forgiveness on that cross. He provided a way for us to be filled with the power of God, the Spirit. He put His seed, His DNA in us. He provided a way for us to be... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go to the next slide here. The next way that we become the children of God, or a second way, or third way we can refer to ourselves as God's children is this. By his dealings, his hand. Parents, how many of your children know about your hand, right? How many, and parents, you know, it's, it's not easy raising children. You've got to correct them. But the Bible tells us this. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And I'd like you to read this with me, because... In, in the Amplified Version, it's very interesting talking about the dealings of God in our life. See, we're His by the fact that He created us. We're His once we've been adopted. We're His in an, an entirely different way once we've been adopted into His family. But we're also His by His dealings with us. Look at this. Let's read this together. Can you, can you do that with me? You must submit to and endure correction for discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not train and correct and discipline? Now, if you are exempt from correction and left without discipline, in which all of God's children should share, then you are illegitimate offspring and not true sons at all. That's pretty powerful. We need to know how to receive correction and love and appreciate his correction in our lives. I like what David says in Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How many of your children ever come, came to you after you had to give them that little spanking? And they said, oh, Dad, I feel so much better now. Oh, I feel so much comfort in my... You know, they may not tell you that. But do you know, and it's a proven fact. Just a lot of people aren't, don't want to... They don't want to be willingly ignorant about it. It's a proven fact that children and homes where there is corporal discipline, where children are being corrected faithfully and diligently, it's a proven fact that those children feel more secure. Anybody want to, any parent can say amen to me? Don't let the world tell you otherwise. In fact, there's a beautiful verse. It says in Psalms 94, it says, Blessed is the man, Lord, that you chasten and discipline, that he may have rest in the day of adversity. Yes, 
Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod that the shepherd used, it was often for discipline. It was a sign of authority. In fact, not only just for the sheep, those sheep knew when that rod was coming, something was serious going to happen. Not only did it bring correction for those sheep, but the rod was also used as an instrument of defense. The shepherds were able to hurl that rod at an enemy. It was, a, it was actually a weapon they were able to use. And I believe spiritually there's, there's some significance that when we're allowing God to discipline us, we have great defense against our adversary. Amen? And the staff, of course, the staff and the shepherd, staff is made just for sheep. I don't, I don't think, uh, Doug, you don't use a staff for your cows, do you? <laughs> Usually not. Yeah, it wouldn't work very well, would it? Staffs and shepherds go together. It's just a known fact. And that staff speaks about another kind of dealing in our lives. That staff reveals God's dealings with us, things we may not really like, but there's great comfort in it. You know, Joseph had dealings in his life, didn't he? He had some serious dealings in his life. Things were not going the way he thought God had originally told him. But Joseph trusted God. Imagine, this in the Old Testament, when really the revelation of knowing God as a father like we do through Jesus Christ, that wasn't even made known. Yet these men of the Old Testament, they had a revelation of God that they could trust him, that God was good. You're a good, good father. Can you say that with me today? You're a good, good father. And, and they could look up to God and they could know that whatever was happening in their life, God had a plan. Paul says it like this. We know that all things, say it with me, work together for good. Joseph understood this. And here's the beautiful thing about what happened in his life. Many chapters in Genesis devoted just to the story of Joseph. It's worthwhile reading. Joseph had two dreams that things were going to go one way, promises people were going to be bowing down to him, but for the next years of his life, he was bowing down to everybody else. He became a a slave, later on a prisoner. Things did not go the way he thought they should go. But Joseph trusted God, and because he did, listen to this, favor was upon him. People could see favor on Joseph's life wherever he went. Things weren't going the way he thought that really you would think they should have gone for him, at least not right away. But during that testing time, as the staff of the shepherd was dealing in Joseph's life, it wasn't for discipline. It was for producing character. Joseph trusted God, and that made all the difference. You know, if you're going to trust someone to discipline you, that's a little bit hard sometimes. Sometimes we feel our parents have disciplined us and it hasn't been fair. We don't really trust their wisdom. But I can guarantee you today, when our Father says, remember this expression, it's going to hurt me more than you. Any Father use that on your child? (laughs) This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Well, I can guarantee you, when God the Father chastens us, it does hurt Him more than it hurts us. But He does it for our good, because He's a good Father. Amen? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Jeremiah said, Lord, correct me. Psalms 139, David, 139, David says, Lord, search my heart. Our responsibility as God's children that he deals with is to say, Lord, please have your way in my life. Please correct me. I give you permission. Lord, I want you to make these changes in my life. Lord, I want you to show me when I make a mistake. Lord, direct me. I don't know which way to go. It's not in a man who walks to direct his steps. Lord, correct me. I give, give you permission to do so. Amen. Well, here's a fourth way, and this is the one I'm really excited about. A fourth way that we can say that he's our father is 
by metamorphosis. Can you all say that big word with me? Metamorphosis. <laughs> His purpose. I want you to think about this for a minute. You see, he adopts us, but we're also have a spiritual birth into his family. God has a seed inside of us. He has a plan. He has a purpose for our lives. Here's the scripture I want to add here. Here it refers to God as the Father of glory, a glorious Father. This is the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians 1. He said, I pray that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. And then he talks about three things that, need, that, that, that should be revealed to us. We would understand what He's called us to. How many know God's high calling on our life isn't to come sit in church on Sunday? How many believe it's a little bit more than that? Right? The riches of His inheritance in the saints, not our inheritance in some mansion over a hilltop up there, but God, God's inheritance Look at the person next to you and say, you're God's inheritance. Not only are you just a pile of dirt, <laughs> but you're God's inheritance also. But look at this third point, the exceeding greatness of his power working within us. What's the purpose of that? Why do we need a great power? Because a great change needs to happen in our life. Let me give you an example. The idea of metamorphosis, transformation of physical form, structure, substance, character, and condition which results in complete and permanent change in an organism's habitat and behavior. Now, metamorphosis is a word that Paul uses when he says the word transformed, that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's actually the Greek word for metamorphosis. So this is something that's, that, that's expected to take place in our life. Some people think that by and by, uh, when we all fly away, that change will take place. I'm presenting you today that that change can take place right here. That's why God sent his spirit to fill us. That's why Paul prayed that they would understand the exceeding greatness and the power that works in us. Why do we need a great power at work inside of us? What's the purpose of that if we got everything we need because we've been forgiven? There's more that God wants to do in our life. He wants to change us. How many can say today that uh, you want to be changed just a little bit more at least, right? You're not quite there yet, right? Okay. And, and well, let's have a little fun here. What's that? A tadpole. Now, this poor little fella, when he's born, and he looks up at his daddy, he says, Daddy, how come I don't look like you? I bet he thought he was adopted. <laughs> oh, and, I, and you can imagine this tadpole trying to stick out legs and arms. It, it wouldn't happen. He could go to the library and pull out some self-help books and, and, and try to figure out how to get arms and legs to come out. Is it going to happen? Not going to happen. Well, there we go. You know, I had some fun a couple summers ago. We had a pond in our backyard where we used to live in, and uh, I pulled out a whole bunch of tadpoles, and we got some aquariums. And throughout the summer, while we did some summer school with my kids at the home, they watched as these tadpoles turned into little frogs. Oh, what an amazing thing, wasn't it? Wasn't that fun? Every day you come down and look, it's actually about a three, possibly a four-month process. It took some time, but such an amazing thing. Most amazing to me is the fact that they're breathing underwater as tadpoles, but at some point in time, lungs develop and they can start breathing air. That's a total transformation. Well, Shore's getting, his tail's getting straighter, but I'm sure this little guy said, Daddy, how come you don't have a tail? Why do I have this tail on me? What's wrong with me? Well, there is a change that takes place. Behold the frog. How about this one? Oh, you're going to like this one. That caterpillar looks kind of dangerous, but it's really not. It just looks scary, but it's not. But it's called the hickory horn devil. Good name, right? 
How many would agree that we were probably hickory horn devils at one point in time? Well, guess what it turns into? The royal lunar moth. It goes from being one, they say a caterpillar is basically a big giant stomach with a mouth on one end. That's all a caterpillar is. But strangely, these butterflies and moths, they, they, they don't even have a mouth to chew. There's the monarch butterfly. Amazing, right? God gives us these examples in nature to understand He has a plan. He has a plan. Some people think, you know, I've heard even Christians say, well, that's just the way I am. People just have to get used to me. I don't think that's what God has in mind. We have a heavenly Father. His DNA is at work in us. John says that the seed, God's seed, is inside of us. Something happening. Paul talks about that inner man that's, 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 that's forming within us. He told the Galatians, I'm in prayer that Christ would be formed in you. There is a process, and it has nothing to do with our self-help programs and learning this and learning that, or maybe just sitting in church long enough. The process of metamorphosis happens because His seed is in us. Can you say amen? Say that with me. God, your seed is in me. Say it. God, your seed is in me. Let it work. Let it change you. And the Holy Spirit comes in with exceeding greatness of power to bring about that change. John says this, after talking about beholding the great love of God, he says, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, that will says it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's a glorious Father. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. God loves you just like you are. Don't be afraid. But guess what? You heard that before? He loves us too much to leave us like that. He wants to change us. He's a father with a plan. We may look at ourselves and uh, like the tadpole looked at his daddy and uh, I just don't see anything like my father in me. But let the DNA, let that uh, substance inside you continue working. Amen? Okay, read this verse with me. Who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these ye may be partakers of the divine nature. How awesome is that? See, we're God's because he created us. Even more importantly, we're God's because we've been adopted, born into his family. Even more so if you've learned the good hand of God on your posterior and you know that God does discipline, you understand, oh, he loves me. And you can say, Jesus said, those whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. Evidence of God's love is that he does correct us. But we're his also by that change that's affecting, taking place in our lives. Read this verse with me and we'll finish with this. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from glory, I'm sorry, into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Why did God send His Spirit to dwell inside of you? Because He wants to change you. Because He wants to change you. Because He wants to change you. And it doesn't happen all at once. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just wake up one day and every, all the bad stuff is gone completely? That'd be really cool, wouldn't it? It doesn't happen like that. It's from glory to glory. Step by step. Well, He's a good, good Father, right? In summary, 
He's my daddy. Can you say that with me? He's my daddy. By design, his sovereign goodness, he's the father of lights. By adoption, his great love plan, his adoption plan. It cost him everything, cost him his own son, but he did it for us. He's the father of mercies. By his dealings, his rod and staff comfort us. His hand, father of spirits. And by metamorphosis, we're going to look like our daddy. Amen? Let's all stand. I want us to sing that chorus in closing now. Let's sing this song together, shall we? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are.